0: So good morning, Charged Up Studio listeners, and welcome back once again to another episode where you get charged up for success. I'm Dana Olivo, your host and CEO of Market Atomy LLC. Today's special guest is one that's clear and dear to my heart, another fellow strategist here. We've had conversations before and we've just gone off on a tangent. So that's probably what's going to happen with this podcast as well. But hopefully, you will get a lot of good information out of this podcast. Bruce Stevens is the CEO and founder of Stevens Performance Group, an advisory firm to small and middle market businesses that struggle with growth and competition. Don't we all? He is a highly accomplished senior strategic leader with proven experience to lead turnaround situations, implement change optimize business units, rationalize workforces, operationalize revenue, revitalize processes, and drive measurable financial performance for increased sales, profit growth, and customer retention. He transforms founders and senior leaders into abundant individuals, helping to create a better lifestyle, longevity, higher levels of liquidity, and leave a lasting legacy. The author of 14 books and over 3,500 business articles, Drew is a licensed insurance professional and financial advisor, my goodness. His career has taken him around the globe to places such as Singapore, Johannesburg, South Africa, and New York City. Born and raised in Brooklyn, my husband's hometown, Mr. Stevens resides in St. Louis, Missouri, with his soulmate, Christine, and his two children. Let's all please give a charged-up studio welcome to Mr. Drew Stevens.
1: Well, thank Hi, you. Drew. I all that.
0: Oh, all that market ease, you know, <laughs> marketing ease, you know, all of that. I love reading that stuff because you don't realize how you come and how much you've accomplished until you put it down on paper,
1: right? <laughs> That's true.
0: That's true. That's really true. <laughs> so before we begin, let's talk about what a turnaround expert
1: is. Well, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's really correcting the wrongs in an organization. And as I look at an organization, I think, generically speaking, There are three very systematic things that are at issue. Number one, processes. Somehow there are processes that are stopping things from moving efficiently and effectively within an organization. An example of that would be voice automated response systems that people put in place thinking that consumers like them. And yeah, as I say in whimsy, heck to the no. Um, The second is honestly where there are people. You know, I'm a big advocate. I have a PhD in leadership and management. And coincidentally, I was doing a lot of my research as Jim Collins was finishing up the research for his book, Good to Great. Coincidentally, we found the exact same thing. And that is you have to have the right people with the right talent, or as he says, the right people on the bus. And too many organizations hire for behavior and not necessarily for the talent. And therefore, there is a gap. And that's why things don't get done. And last but not least is then the product. If you have a product that you're placing into market, and I'll say use this in a ubiquitous term, service, but it is not matching what the consumers desire based upon that what that product or service is, then you're not selling it. You need to do the proper research in order to understand how that product or service matches with the demography that you're planning on marketing to. And too many, too many, way too many businesses get that wrong.
0: Wow. You know, and and, and that's exactly it. I just got off the phone. I had a conversation this morning with a young lady who was going to be on my podcast um, in season three. And she uh, talks about brand archetypes. And it was fascinating listening to her talking about the brand archetypes that we don't really understand how we relate to others. Right. And we need to understand what our archetypes are so that we understand who we are servicing, you know.
1: Right. So, I'm, a big, uh, I'm a big advocate, Dana, of uh, Peter Drucker who wrote yeah. a book in 1954 called The Practice of Management. And there's a fabulous quote in there. And he said, the purpose of business is the customer. And there are too many organizations that they forget why they're in business and they forget what the focus is supposed to be. And Steve Jobs is somebody that really manifested that because he was asked many years ago, do you do market research? And he said, no. And yeah. when he was asked by um, the gentleman interviewer, why he doesn't do research. He said, because I need to get close to the customers. I need to understand what it is that the customer wants. And I build around that. Hence mm-hmm. the iPad, iPod, and iPhone. And there were too many organizations that just take it, build it, throw it out there. Never spoken with a customer before. Right. And right. wind up failing because of that. And that's where I come in as a restructure expert because right. I've got to help them right those wrongs. And I, you know tell them the things that they don't want to hear. Quite yeah, too,
0: too many entrepreneurs nowadays, you know, they talk about customer service, you know, and things like that. But in, honest, in, in, in honestly, what's really happening is the customer service is in their mind. It's their assumptions of what their customers want rather than digging in and finding out exactly what those customers want. You what? Know? Uh, and that's what we call the customer experience. You know, you need to put yourself in their shoes. So let's kick this show off with a bang, talking about why small micro businesses have a difficult time scaling. And I'm not I'm not talking the traditional reasons like poor management, you know, cash flow issues, et cetera. Let's dig deep and get to the root of the real root of why these businesses struggle in the early stages of growth.
1: You know, and it's a great question, Dan. And here, you know, I have a program that's now out. It's called Business Killers, And there's 12 reasons why I know that businesses fail. <clears throat> I will narrow that list just for reasons of time and really bring it down to three very important points. Number one, I want to call the number. Businesses fail because they have no idea. And I'm working with one right now. His dad had the business. It's in business for 46 years. And I specifically said, Craig, what number do you need every day? And he literally said to me, I "I don't understand what you're talking about. And I said, what number do you need to put the key in the tumbler and open the door? And he said, I still don't get it. And unfortunately, as we have seen, there have been well over 500,000 businesses that have closed because of the pandemic. Now, yes, the pandemic was a big influence in their closure with one exception, and that is out of those 500,000, excuse me, 87% of those had no idea what that number was. And so they yeah. were operating literally day by day, week by week without having money saved in the bank. The number is really what is your expense? What is the, the need that you need? To, what is the number that you need to meet on a daily basis to pay the bills off? And if you don't know that number, you're going to crash and burn. I work
0: with a. I worked with a physician that had just um he he had spent all of his money um you know building this beautiful office you know and all this other stuff nothing on you know marketing or anything like that and when right. i went in there that was one of the first questions i had asked him is how many patients need to come through the door okay for you to be able to break even every day right. and he had no idea what i was talking about
1: yep exactly you know?
0: And, no, um, you know, I, I fully agree with you. Now, how would you said three? So you told me yeah. one. OK, what are the other two?
1: The other two? Real simple. Marketing is number one. <clears throat> and I know that's your Ballywick because of the name of the podcast. But you would not believe how many businesses think, you know, you, you name a doctor. Many years ago, and one of the books that I've written is in the chiropractic market space. So there are these 13 universities. They matriculate all of these entrepreneurs. And yeah, chiropractors are entrepreneurs. They hang these signs up. In these strip malls, and they expect that people are just literally She's gonna, gonna walk by. Oh wow, we're gonna go to go eat Chinese food. And when we're done with Chinese food, you know what? I gotta need I need to go to the Hallmark store, pick up some greeting cards, and on the way back, I'm going to the chiropractor. Yes. It doesn't happen like that. It you know. And so a big part of owning a business is marketing. If you're not making any music, there's no noise. And where there's no noise, there's a lack of brand recognition. There's a lack of noticeability. And there's a a lack of the individuals that can then carry the business. You and I depending upon what computers we're using, whether it's Apple or Microsoft or Acer or whomever, we are the brand advocates. And when we are happy with what's going on, we tell our others. So marketing is a big thing about that. Last but not least, which is a big part of marketing and not enough people talk about it, is customer service. If you are just going to not provide anything in the UX, the user experience, And you think that your marketing is just going to carry you through and create the revenues, think twice. Because if you have a bad user experience, people are not returning. It's going to be like a horror movie. And so the best that you can do is ensure the fact that the greatest asset you have outside of your employees are your consumers. They're the ones that are going to carry that firm.
0: Yes and, and and you're right Market Atomy my background is the marketing the business development you know uh, that side of it but what I learned over the years which is why Market Atomy was developed was it is more than marketing to bring those customers through the door like you said we have to put ourselves in our customers shoes that bad experience can come from the accounting department or the book it can come from the receptionist it can come from your field workers so right. Marketatomy and Marketatomy Academy was developed to teach that, that infrastructure that needs to be in place for that customer experience.
1: Correct. You know, Absolutely. so it
0: can Correct. be operations, it can be finance, it can be anything. Right. Know? So, um, so my, the reason I wanted to get to the root of all of this, okay, is my belief is with education, these small business owners can learn how to do what you're talking about.
1: Yes. <laughs> okay.
0: Um, it's it's all about what they don't know. They don't know. Right. I've had two failed businesses myself. It's what I didn't know about running a business until I went back to school and found right. out. Okay. So you know, I put education right up there as well.
1: And you know, it, and it's an interesting point because. As the pandemic, I can't tell you it winds down, but as things, because of the pandemic have changed, we've got over 11 million open jobs. We have 4 million people that have lost jobs since June of this year. The fact is, is that many of those people have just said, you know what? I give up. I can't work for an organization because I never know when I'm going to get terminated. I can't go to an organization because I can't be hired by an organization. I've submitted resumes. I'm done. So the easy step then is to go into the world of small business or entrepreneurship. Unfortunately, it's really interesting because you talk about education, and I come at it from two, if not three different perspectives. Mm -hmm. Number one, I need to understand, and it's not a, a, a. A question we're going to be able to answer. But just as much as STEM is important within the, uh, you know, secondary school system, I need to understand why they are not teaching entrepreneurship, why business and finance are not taught at the secondary educational levels or even even in the high schools. I mean, heck, you go to college and finance now is, it's an option if you're in a business program or if you're focusing on that. Yeah. The second is that we have a number of individuals, and I don't want to get into politics, but we do have a number of individuals that are immigrants. But then again, we could all say we're immigrants. Yeah, because, the because way, we're a know,
0: blended country. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> Um, But I bring it up uh, because we have immigrants from third world countries, the Nepal's, the Thailand's, the Singapore's, the uh, Latin American uh, individuals that are coming here that have said, I want to flee from the politics, I want to flee from the topology, and so I want to begin a business in the United States. That's great. God bless you. Go for it. But without an understanding of what it takes to build the business, as you said, and rightly so you're going to fail the statistics are against you 98% of small businesses fail in the first 3 years yeah. another 92% fail in of those that remain fail in the next 2 years and yeah. the reason being is because there's that lack of education and sustainability
0: right and and with me as far as market academy is concerned that's where i want to make the positive impact i you know i want to bring these education courses you know, and, and the programs and the resources and the, and the accountability to them so that they can be learning without having to shut down or, right. you know, or anything like that. They can learn without having to go back to school, all mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and that is critical as far as my vision is concerned, you know? Um, and I agree with you. We get this in the middle school level. We can't wait until they get into high school and college, right. you know? We've got to get this very early, And think about it,
1: yeah. Yeah, think about it, Dana. If you know, we've got a a debt crisis here in the United States outside of other things that are going on, 1.7 trillion of that is related to credit card debt, it's not necessarily student loans, it's a 1.7 trillion just in credit card debt. We do that because we don't know how to manage money, we don't know how to manage money because we're not taught. In fifth grade, sixth grade, you know, go. mommy and daddy say, get it. I'm going to give you an allowance. You do chores, you get an allowance. But what they don't say is spend, how to save it before you spend it. It's very easy to spend. We're very good at grabbing and spending, but we're not great at placing money into a system that then says, here's how to then stay rich.
0: And staying on that that point there. Okay. When you think about it. Okay. Um, yesterday I was on a webinar. Um, I'm currently, I am working with a potential partner. We're going for non-bid government uh, contracting.
1: Okay. Oh, cool. Good luck. And
0: um, I'm really excited about it because, you know, this is a perfect opportunity for small businesses to get in. Again, it comes with education. They have to be, you know, taught. Right. how to go after these but anyway um they mentioned something about a million new businesses every year starting now if we were able to help even 10% 100,000 right okay of those new businesses stay in business imagine the money that would be going back into our gdp
1: right exactly and,
0: and the number of, of employees that would be hired you know, why can't, what is, it's so simple. What is it that's so hard for the government to see this?
1: You know? Politics, unfortunately, because politics, it, you know, they think big business. And if you think about it, yeah. you know, I was looking at the Wall Street Journal yesterday and even today. And so earnings are out and you see JP Morgan, Bank of America, Morgan right. Stanley. You know, it's interesting because they're posting 24, 30 The 40% profit margin. Exactly. And here, the small business owner that has a small restaurant that used to have 20 employees, now is lucky if he has eight, is just plugging along as much as he can. And, you know, they're making money off of our money, while the small business owner is making money off of what we want to eat. You know, it's. And that's exactly it.
0: And then look at these big. You know, and I'm not talking just big corporate America. Okay. I'm talking about right. business in general. Look at the fact that um now they are forcing their employees to get the COVID shots.
1: Yes, exactly. So they
0: can come back to work. And these employees are opting out and saying, look, I don't wanna I I'm not gonna be forced into something that you know it's my mental health. It's 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 my health, it's not, you know. And so they're just, they're going out on their own or doing whatever. They're even threatening, you know, um, uh, virtual workers for their companies.
1: You know, you, you to know get it. Dana, and it's interesting that you bring that up because I'm uh, given all of the leadership that I've followed over the years and the things that I've done over the years, you know, it, it, people wonder, just average across the board, are wondering why people are not returning to work. Well, right. if you treat people like crap, and here in the exactly. United States, we have a history of treating our employees. I was just having this conversation because I did a, um, a very quick uh, seminar yesterday for a group of folks. And I said, you know, it's very interesting. High inflation, all of these companies are going to come back with this rigidity. We're not making any money. And, and you know, we need to make more money. And so what do they wind up doing after they do the crybaby attitude? they fire employees. Yeah. So the employees are then forced to leave. They can't find a job because we're in inflationary time. And then what winds up happening is that we then get deflation and then things go back to normal to a certain extent. Right. We, everything happens in a cycle. And all these companies then say, you know, we need the productivity. So since we need the productivity, we need the workers. So let's go hire more workers. Right. Wait a right. second. You know, somebody that's been in a corporate job, whether it's Amazon, Chrysler, or um, Sears, is going to say, I'm tired of you complaining every single time you don't make money, I lose a job. But I've been here for 20 years, killing myself 50 hours a week. And then suddenly you find it very easy to lay me off. People do right. say, you know what? The next person to lay me off, that's, and Dana, that's how I started my job. Yeah. You know what? I'm tired of being fired. Yeah.
0: The heck, no, that's exactly I'm, it. That's exactly it, you know, and, you know, to be, and that's where it brings me back to, you know, our, our education system, how much of that is designed to be the way it is. Right. Exactly. You know, they don't want the young people to be able to go out on their own and learn right. about entrepreneurship and how to manage their finances, because it's just going to upset the, the, the apple cart up in Washington.
1: Right. You know, that's exactly it. Yeah. So,
0: you know, we as people need to, as, as citizens, we need to stand up and do our research and, and make our own decisions. Correct. All right, enough of, the, of the, uh,
1: <laughs> the
0: venting platform here, okay? So I did some research on you in preparation for this talk. And, Uh-oh. No, 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 it's not bad. In one social media post, you spoke about using what you have today to create what you want tomorrow. You went on to say, spending too much time wishing instead of changing and creating will leave you wondering who you could have been. I can't tell you how many times I have thought about if I had just gotten started 10 years earlier or something like that, you know? So explain more about what you meant by these statements.
1: Well, I, you know, I can take you... Down uh, a different road. It's a personal road, not necessarily a professional.
0: Personal is always good,
1: and that's where, at the end of the day, that's where it really starts. Exactly. Um, I had, I am now married in September, uh, thirty years, and I had um, a very big advocate, my mother-in-law, and she had passed away in the, the dawn of the millennium, literally January first of twenty twenty. Um.
0: Oh, mine was. Mine was my mom passed away uh, one week before COVID kicked in. Oh wow! Which was was in February.
1: Yeah. Holy smokes! I was
0: so glad. I was so glad because she would have been miserable.
1: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Go
0: on. I'm I'm sorry. (laughs)
1: Just no, that's okay. Watching, knowing that she had passed, and then subsequently, in the midst of this, I was trying to go for my doctorate, and I stopped. You know, you you suffer from depression and everything else. Mm-hmm. I just never wanted to ever again say shit or what it could You know, I, I heard a podcast the other day and I think it was Oprah. And they said, do you have any, you want to, when you die, you don't want to have any regrets. So do you have any regrets right now? Right. My one regret is I had an opportunity to go to West Point and I never went. I got scared and I got scared for the simple reason that it was, four years when I was going in and then suddenly they changed it to five years, never even asked if they were going to grandfather it or not. And you know what? It was one of the dumbest decisions I've ever made. I could have graduated as an officer would have gotten officers pay outside of the, just the fraternity of, of West Point. But that, that aside, Mm -hmm. um, I never, that was my only shoulda, woulda, coulda. I live now with that thought of never, ever saying, should have, would have, could have. And that's where that thought came from. Mm-hmm. I, I don't mind making a mistake. I don't mind failing. That's all about education. I just, I, what I do mind is having a regret of not having done.
0: Right. And, and I did interview um, uh, Steve Anderson recently on the podcast and he wrote the book, the Bezos Letters. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And, spoke and and we talked about um, Jeff Bezos and his philosophy, and it was along along the line of what you're talking about. You know, there's two types of risks that you take. You know, there's the big risk, and then there's the risk that you make decisions quickly, you find out if it's a good idea, and then get out. Right. You know. Right. And you know that's exactly. And then the other one, the big one, which was number one, he says those are the ones that that could. Kill your business, but you want to take your time on it, you know, and things like that. But if, if you don't take action on things and if you don't um, live up to what your dreams are, you're never going to you're never going to feel as though you've accomplished anything. You know, right.
1: I've always <clears throat> that's been, exactly it.
0: Yeah. I've always been um, uh, accused of being a big dreamer, you know, a daydreamer that type right. of
1: deal. But, but there nothing had, wrong with that, as they no,
0: say. No, I've, I've always had big dreams, you know. Um, and and there's a lot of people that will sit there and they'll say, oh, no, that's impossible. You know, when I went into Brazil back in 2009, 2010, you know, they everybody told me, you know, oh, you don't want to go down there. They don't respect women, you know, this, that, you know, and everything. I went down there. It was one of the best experiences of my life working down Let's there, see. you know. Um, respectful, you know the whole bit. Um, this this market atomy, you know, the ultimate vision is for Market Atomy and for myself is to get in front of Congress. I want to change the laws on getting new business licenses here. So that's that, great. So small businesses can get incentives if they show that right. they've gotten the education <laughs> for running a business, you know that type deal. Now, yeah, it's a big dream. I know that. And I've got a long fight ahead of me. But, but if I okay. get enough people behind me supporting it, I know it'll happen.
1: Right. You know. I've gotten, you know, over the years, because of that, I've gotten, I've become very spiritual. And then some other ill things happened over, you know, personally and professionally. and. Right. I have always believed in two things. Number one, there is a God. Number two, he will never put you into anything that will imperil you in any way. Right. So right. take, listen, read, review, react is the way right. that I, I, I do things. And so if I'm going down a road, I'm there for a very particular reason. And, you know, I'm not going to say that there are negative forces that are not at work. There are negative forces always at work. You just have to be able to surveil the the environment to understand where the prudent risk is. And if it's not good risk, then don't do it. And sometimes
0: the negative forces are within you.
1: Right. That's exactly correct.
0: Some of those negative forces are in you. So so when we were talking a little bit about corporate America, you know, Recently, I had Carol Sanford, uh, author of Regenerative Business. I don't know if you know who she is.
1: No, I I don't know the name.
0: Very good book, very um, uh, astute um, author. Okay. And her book um, called Regenerative Business talks about her views on creating effective teams. All Mm -hmm. right. And it's to encourage participation by those team members through creative thinking. And drawing on a co-joined intelligence of the team members to facilitate the growth. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I'm not a big, uh, you know, I don't want to go against the grain of what she believes, but I've studied leadership now for over 30 years. Um, I don't necessarily believe in teams. I don't think that they really exist. I believe that there are more task forces than anything else, because if you and I, quite honestly, are on a team, we're most concerned about how it affects us. What what does that do for me individually? Because I'm not looking at Dana, I'm looking at Drew, and how do I supersede here? How do I get promoted? Now, to a certain extent, what I will say is that can you create a team and can a group of people come together and coalesce? The answer to that is quite evident because we've seen it a number of times. Right. On the athletic field, I've seen it because here in St. Louis, many years ago, I got to see a team that was this fledgling team, stood around a quarterback who no one knew that was it, it, realistically a couple of weeks before was doing no more than lining shelves in a supermarket. And they became known as the greatest show on turf and then won the Super Bowl. How did that happen? They came to understand everybody's strengths and limitations, and they worked within the confines of those limitations to rear up everybody else. We've seen it when there were 33 miners stuck under the ground in Chile, and suddenly there was an individual that came together. They got them to coalesce and said, let's work together to get out of this two and a half mile hellhole that we're in at this particular point. To that extent, Dana, what I've noticed is simply this. And this comes from my dissertation. And that is people need to be involved. When you make your employees involved in the process, when you make your employees involved with the customers and give you customer feedback, the morale goes to a different level. The productivity then coalesces with that morale and suddenly your organization has a culture of teamwork, of group right. work, what I actually call the four C's, which is communication, collaboration, commitment. And that is simply because everybody is working together because they understand the mission, vision, values of the organization. Right. So for me to say that and not agree that there is a team, I will say. I think there's too many people that use the word thinking, yes, everybody's going to come together. But if you have the right formula, which is good leadership, good leadership, and you're going to like this, with a strategic vision that's constantly communicated, and you get others that understand what that vision and values are, then suddenly you'll get that team coming together because people will then coalesce because they'll want to collaborate. They've got no choice.
0: Right. And that, and that um, brings up another uh, question or uh, point I wanted to make. I had a conversation not too long ago about, again, teaming and um, a team not having a leader. And I couldn't understand that because somebody has to make a decision. Right. Somebody has to make sure that the team is doing what it's supposed to do, monitoring, even if it's just an admin or somebody else that's keeping that dry, dry. Your thoughts on that?
1: You know, it's a great question because you will find in any organization you will have the person with the title that's supposed to be the leader. But you will have someone within the group that people kind of get around just somehow culturally And they're the people that at a grassroots level really start the um, insurrections, if I can call it that, that will then go against the culture. will then say, you know what, this person does not know what they're doing and creates the rumor, the speculation, and that's when people start to leave the organization. Is that necessarily a bad thing? No, it's not. No. Because you, what I have always said, and I, I don't want to sound trite here, and it does sound—it's going to sound like a trite term—but people don't leave bad companies; they leave really poor managers. Right. And unfortunately, there are many instances where, yeah, at the CEO level, realistically, who puts that person in check—the board of directors—that it's not going to happen. Because let's face it. It's an old boys club, it's a fraternity, and even if it's a female, it's a fraternity because the board is hired by the CEO. At the grassroots level, it's not going to happen simply because that person who was promoted into that position was put there by those that were there above them and decided, yeah, you're the pers- perfect person for the job, but that then coincides with what I said earlier. That means that they were hired based upon, based upon behavior. People need to be hired based upon their innate skills. In other words, yeah. could Dana or Drew do the job if their life depended upon it? Right. right. That's that's how right. hiring should go.
0: Yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree with you as far as that's concerned. So, coming from Wall Street, uh, I would imagine you have learned how to manage stress. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And as small business owners and dealing with small business owners you know that we go through stress 24/7 every yep. single day, okay? Absolutely. Give us some hints or some guidance on how you manage your stress.
1: Um drink a lot. No. Um all whimsy aside. <clears throat> I do not want to sound like a true textbook case, but it really is about work-life balance. Yeah. And it's really understanding how to extricate yourself. So I, you know, I've had an office in the house for years. So when everybody was complaining about the pandemic and the fact that they had to work from home, I've done it for 30 years. So it's not a big, yeah. big deal, but right. let's face it. There are certain nuances that you have to have. You have to have a set of borders and you have to know what to manage that stress. Number one. Do not place an office near your bedroom. Do not have an office near the bedroom. Have it in a distinctly different part of the house that you shut a door and you go to another part of the house. That's one. Two, you have to have hours. So literally yeah. my hours are from 7.30 in the morning until roughly two 2.30 in the afternoon. At 2.30, I'm done. That That is the end of my you're, day.
0: You're past, you're past your time today.
1: Um, it's Central time. So I-, oh, I okay.
0: Okay, you've no, got time. an hour.
1: <laughs> I have got an hour left. But truly, it. and that the reason being is because now yeah. are there days that I'll work to say four or five o'clock? Yeah, oh, because yeah. one day is different from another cyclically. But what I then say is if I'm done for the day, I'm done. So don't book me in a meeting. Don't get me on my calendly. And if, if yeah. you do, I'm not doing it. I yeah. don't work on weekends and I'm a former track athlete. And so after I was done with track, I got into, um, bodybuilding and and weightlifting and all of that. I still do that. I'm going to be 60 in February. And so my thought is I'm going to continue to work out because that is what relieves my stress. I can take an hour to me and just leave me alone. I also love to walk and I also love to read. And so whether it's the wall street journal or it could be a James Patterson book, I make sure that I take time for me. So the journal, I get up in the morning at six o'clock, sometimes five, 5.30. I will have coffee. I'll read the journal. And that is my non-interrupted time. That doesn't mean I'm looking at email. It doesn't mean that I'm working on reports. It means that it will take me another 90 minutes, maybe two hours. You have to have that creative selfishness because if you don't, we'll be robbed of it. For sure. Right.
0: And even if you have to work odd hours, at least make up your time earlier in the day or something yes, like
1: that. Exactly. You know,
0: you know, you can you can be flexible with your hours, but you do have to take that time
1: to yourself. Correct.
0: You know. So what do you see in the future for small micro business owners over the next two to five I, well, years? Well, I
1: see more of it. I what I think that people need to stop. Doing unless it's product related. But I think people need to stop the crowdfunding hubris. And the reason being is because I think people feel that you know they need to go to a bank, they need to go to crowdfunding, they need to no, you can start your own business without having any money. But what you should be able to do, and I learned this the the easy way, you get somebody else to pay for it. So there's nothing wrong with having a full-time job and you start your small business on the side. Right. And so for a number of years, I've had a financial services business where I have done life insurance. I do financial planning, financial analysis. I'm at the point where I'm almost ready to flip that full time. Mm -hmm. Now, have I done other things over the years? Yeah, I have my own consulting and advisory business. I do some adjunct instruction, but that means I'm letting my clients pay the freight for me to flip that model. So it doesn't matter if Drew and Dan happen to have a boutique or an ice cream shop or a dry cleaning store. I can still have a full-time business. I happen to know somebody that is running a 24 by 7 gym. They have a full-time job and there's a general manager. And that general manager manager is there, excuse me, overseeing the gym while there are fitness trainers in the gym. Ain't nothing wrong with that. As long as it's putting food on the table, you're right. good. But at some point you need to know, and it's interesting that you sequence the questions that way, going back to the former question, then you then need as a business owner to understand where your stress level is, because number one, can you handle both jobs? Number two, can you keep the hours so that one does not infringe on the other? And number three, if it becomes too consuming, you're going to need to make a choice. Right. because that's going to be stressful for you. So your choice is either remain at the full-time job because you can't handle work in the business or stop letting the business work you, work the business work your plan and still live a good life. Well,
0: and, and that gets back to strategy. And a lot of companies, a lot of early stage businesses, they don't understand the need of strategy. You know, my, my academy is built on five, Five growth phases. You've got the see it phase. Then you've got the prove it phase. Then you move into the grow it phase, which is your business model, everything. Then you move into the funding phase yep. and then the grow it phase. You know, I, you know so, just
1: to add to that data, because you yeah. and I have used that term, I think it's important for listeners to understand. There is a huge difference between strategy and tactics. And what I always yes. tell people is, look, Strategy is nothing more than what the business is. It's what the business is to become. We learn as individuals, and I say this because of my age. I learned that strategy is supposed to look at seven to 10 years in the future. You do that, in, you know, 2020, at this point, 2021 2, you can't do that. The world's moving too quickly. So I say to individuals, look. If strategy is nothing more than a runway to get you where you want to be, You can't look any more than 18 to 36 months down the road. You've got to shorten that window. But what that window has got to be then mission, vision, values. You've got to manifest that vision and values based upon who you're trying to service. The flip side of that then are tactics, Mm-hmm. And tactics is that how you're going to get her done. And right. there are too many people that mix that metaphor because what they say, well, strategically, you know, we're going to be building product um, within the next two days. And that product is going to have nuts and bolts. And, you know, we're going to put some glue on it. No, 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 no. No, that's that's tactics. The tactics.
0: That's the tactics. Yeah, I'm working right now. Um, uh, I'm introducing towards the end of the year a um, annual growth strategy. Uh, for twenty twenty two you know for for businesses right it'll be a, a virtual session that i'm going to be doing and so in the process of preparing for that i'm going ahead and i'm doing my own annual strategy and sitting here and and you know working out the goals and making sure the goals are metric uh, based you know and right. things like that and um, it's amazing how many people do not understand the difference between goals and objectives
1: Yes, exactly. Right.
0: That's where a lot of them get get tripped up is that they consider goals and objectives the same thing. Correct. You know, and um, and trying to explain to them, you know, the process. of so what I'm doing is and I found this cool tool It's called Click It. And it's free right. <laughs> and it allows me because normally I have a whiteboard up here. And it's got all my, um, I've got sticky notes on it so that I can keep track of what I'm doing each month, you know, in six different categories towards my strategy. You know, well, what I'm doing now, and then I can pull them down when they're done. And then I see at the bottom how much I've done for that month. Well, this, this click it platform allows me to basically do the same. It's a project management platform allows me to do it online. So I'm kind of playing around with it and everything. But when I go and do this virtual um, this virtual session, um, I, I'll be amazed to see how many people really understand the difference between goals, objectives, and then um, the tactical elements.
1: Well, and to because that's one, the
0: way I put it.
1: Yeah. No, and to add one more to that, I you know we have all um, grown up with the whole goals and objectives. Mm -hmm. And I think it's imperative for people to understand that when we look at goals and objectives, it's one thing to hit a goal. And then just at the end of it, just, you made it and somehow, some way we just, we dissipate, you know, with all of those feelings somehow just go, okay, I've reached it. Now what, what next that, and I think, unfortunately, we need to credit ourselves. We need to produce, um, celebrate the win and produce something that celebrates the win and not demoralize ourselves for two things. Number one, hitting the goal and then having to think and having to do work to hit another one. Right. But more importantly, is that if you don't hit the goal to not beat yourself up, it's just yeah. part of that education. What, you know, And you, you're not allowed, I was always told by a, uh, priest, you're not allowed to ask why. You can ask how, what, when, but don't ask why, because you're not going to get the answers to the why, you know, at least from a spiritual perspective, it let, you know, God will do what he wants to do on that spiritual side. But on the pragmatic side, do I believe that we should be asking why? Yeah, there's no reason why you can't look at the why of certain things, because it may give you some of the information. But I think too many of us beat ourselves up for not having that why answer or a very good why answer. And that's not a good way to go through life. And the
0: why is the passion behind everything. When you think about it, that's our passion. Why are we in business with what we do? You know, um, know, Simon Sinek's book, you know, begin with why or start with why or whatever, you know, one of the best books I ever read. So anyway, um, we're getting close to the end of our podcast here and we could keep going going. on. So any last tips for our listeners here?
1: You know, uh, because thematically of what you're saying about education, um, I am deeply impassioned by education, you know, because of my degrees, my master's, my doctorate and all of that. I think what, uh, from a small business perspective, it's imperative for, for your listeners to understand, educate, when you fail, failure is education. Yes. And many people believe that, you know what, I failed, I messed up, I did something wrong. No, you've got to treat it like Henry Ford. You've got to treat it like Thomas Edison. You've got to treat it like Wilbur and Orville Wright. They made mistakes. Mistakes happen. And the way that I always teach it, just to go back to what I said about West Point earlier, you know, when you're in the military, the military tells you mistakes are not an option. And that is because, very similar to the medical field, it's got to be precise. You wouldn't put a scalpel into somebody and take out a nerve, or we want to hit a nerve when you're not meaning to do that. That's where that precision, that's where failure is not an option. But we're in business. We're going to fail. We're going to not know how to understand expenses in a balance sheet. We're going to not know how to make a qualitative product because something happened within the ingredients or the manufacturer. We're not going to service the client right way because the client perhaps is lethargic and not willing to communicate back to us. That's not on you. That's on the client.
0: Right.
1: So learn from that. Learn yep. from those experiences, use them as an opportunity to make a slight turn, wherever that turn may lead you. Right. If you do that and you learn from those experiences, you're going to be an exceptional business owner. And I'll leave, and one other thing that business owners need to understand, wealth is nothing more than discretionary time. So we all walk around with, I want to be a millionaire, I want to be a billionaire. There's Jeff Bezos, there's Mark uh, Gates mm-hmm. or... Wealth is about discretionary time. If in fact you're making money and have time for vacation, if in time you're making money and have time for your significant other, that's wealth. It's not about having a Lambo in the driveway. And to that extent, stop looking at the hubris that's on social media of somebody that looks like they're 11 years old, claiming that they want to retire by the time they're 26 and they're in a private plane. Because guess what? Dan has got a virtual background. I've got a virtual background. And if you don't think that those private chartered planes and cars and all of that are not doctored, trust me, they are. These are just heart Heartless individuals trying to get your hard earned cash. Exactly. Don't go for it.
0: Yeah. No, that's exactly it. You know. So that concludes our podcast for today. Can you um, let our listeners know how they can get a hold of you if they would like to?
1: Absolutely. I have a website, which is uh, www, excuse me, Drew Stevens, and that's with a V dot com. Well, feel free to send me an email at Drew at Drew Stevens
0: very good. so please leave a review on any of the streaming platforms you're listening to us on, or go to Charged up studio's Facebook page and leave a review there. Charged up Studio is a product of Market Atomy Academy, the e-learning system designed specifically with the micro business owner in mind. For more information and to register for our many courses, go to marketadamy.academy. I look forward to talking more with you next week. And when we will be spending our time with another exciting guest like Drew here and help small business owners like yourselves learn what it is you don't know you don't know. Talk to you then and go out and have a charged up week. Thank you, Drew.
1: Thank you, Dana. Really appreciate it.